do a couple of things different, and I wonder if we could sing that last verse again. Thank you for that. I'm using the uh, lapel microphone this morning, and I hope that that works satisfactorily. They'll probably have to adjust it a little bit. I'd like to just read a couple of things before I preach. And we'll get the acoustics right. And they're in my preaching folder. The first one is, wherever preaching is devalued or absent, the cause of God goes through a thin time. The kingdom of God and preaching are like conjoined twins who cannot be separated. They stand or fall together. The second piece is by William Marshall, and it's entitled Gospel. He says, it's a tremendous shock to human conceits that God should choose to make Christ crucified the salvation of men. Our nature always clings with passionate pride to a program of works. We are affronted because Christ crucified is at variance with our ideas. We would rather have some other way that would pay due respect to human nature and satisfy our sense of need without hurting our pride. But our self-righteousness is an invasion made on the glory of God. Many know Christ died and for what he died, but his death is a dead truth. It does not bring about the death of their sins, which were the death of Christ. The gospel offer is not take it or leave it, but take it or be left. I'm going to read now from Luke's gospel, a well-known passage. I'm sure you've heard it many times, but nevertheless... We need to keep reading it. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to 
be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. My topic today is God's way. And the text that I just read, there was no room for them in the inn. I'll do it my way is not God's way. The ways of God are divine indeed. And for this reason, we're often puzzled by the events of life. William Cooper penned these lines. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Preacher Paul Shearer told of a college professor who sat reading a book in the waiting room of a maternity section of a hospital while his own child was being born. And I hope this doesn't happen to the young men you know about here. When at last a nurse appeared and said, it's a boy, the professor scarcely looked up from his book and grunted, as was his custom, whenever interrupted by a student. Ask him what he wants. Our Lord's birthday is celebrated on December the 25th. And we do well to ask him what he wants from us on his birthday. First of all, in this passage, we find the unexpected. The Lord of love came into this world in a most unexpected way, for he was born in a stable because all the other places were full. For those who love the Lord, the seventh verse of Luke chapter 2 surely tugs at our heartstrings. To think the Lord of love came down from his glory in heaven to find there was no room for him in the inn. The innkeeper, of course, had no idea of whom he was refusing at the door of his inn when he came face to face with Joseph. But then he had no room. He was unable to help the couple who requested a space inside the inn. I'm sure he was not hostile to Mary and Joseph. I'm also sure he hardly had time to think of the peasant couple. Some sad things have been written about that innkeeper. And after all, he was most likely rushed off his feet. But how true to life. The innkeeper caught up with the hustle and bustle, the hurry and scurry of life, and he misses out on the most important event in history and turns away 
the most important visitor he ever had and ever would have. God steps into the world and he misses out. How important for us as we get wrapped up in the hustle and bustle of our lives that we do not miss out on what God is doing all around us. For many years, I've been greatly impressed by a passage in a book by Mary McCulloch. And the title, the title is This Vast Activity. And she says, the temptation to live in a world of activity is so subtle, so insidious in its approach that often we do not realize what is happening until it's almost too late to arrest its progress. And she says, at first we find ourselves in circumstance in which we're always rather pressed for time. We've never quite enough time to do all we want to do, or indeed all we know we should do. And people all around us are living in that same kind of hurry. And no one thinks it's strange that we should arrange our lives with due regard to the claims of modern conditions. In our mad haste to leave one place and reach another, we have outstripped our own souls and left them naked and bewildered in a world which seems to many to have abandoned God. McCulloch then gives this important statement and it is so important. The book is long since out of print, but just listen to what she says. To be immersed, heart, mind, and soul in the affairs of this world is to be but a broken ladder, incapable of bringing people to God or opening the way <laughs> of God to people. While we may think badly of the innkeeper, can we be sure we would recognize our Lord should he suddenly appear in our street or would we be so busy with our own affairs that we would miss his visit? Stoddard Kennedy saw it this way when he wrote the lines, when Jesus came to Birmingham, they simply passed him by. They never hurt a hair of him. They only let him die. For men had grown more tender and they would not give him pain. They only just passed down the street and left him in the rain. Still Jesus cried, forgive them for they know not what they do. And still it rained. The wintry rain drenched him through and through. The crowd went home and left the streets without a soul to see. And Jesus crouched against a wall and cried for Calvary. God does the unexpected. and We're just as ill-prepared for the unexpected. And as for, unex for, as for expecting miracles, they're just beyond our thinking. We say we believe in them but we do not wake up each morning and face the day and expect miracles. No room in the inn, 
but there's little room in our hearts. Millions have never heard even in his name and never heard about all the wonders that go along with belief in him, have never heard about his offer of eternal life. And the sad thing is our lives are crowded with so many things, a thousand and one things, so that our time is drawn off in a multitude of directions crammed with possessions and pleasures until the Savior is crowded out. Have we any room for Jesus? Becomes a huge question for us. And the big question is, are we ready? Are we aware of the divine presence, the Holy Spirit of God? We should, should certainly be in prayerful thought of how near is our God the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are we aware of the divine presence? Is God real for us? Is God able to speak to us in unexpected ways or have we shut the door so fast? God is not able to perform the unexpected. Truly, as the old hymn writer put it, we need to take time to be holy, speak oft with our Lord. Abide in him always and feed on his word. There's surely a call to set aside our personal ambitions in order that we might seek the Lord in his kingdom. Otherwise, these other things will crowd Christ out of our life and the door to the manger of Bethlehem will be closed. So also the way of Christ to Christ himself. This will be because we have become like broken ladders incapable of bringing people to God and God to people. And we come to the mysterious in this passage. What mystery at Bethlehem as she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Truly, we should take more time than we do to connect this verse with the opening verses of John's Gospel, where he writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the one who was in the beginning with God. Through him and everything came into being, and without him nothing that exists came into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. He was in the world and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. What a mystery. What amazing thoughts here. John starts his gospel with a sweeping statement that is striking in a way similar to the opening words of Genesis. In the beginning was the word. Now on reading these words, we are immediately made of aware of the fact John was dealing with the vast and mysterious coming of Christ into the world. And in the Greek, the word refers to the pre-existent Christ and it is translation, a translation of the Greek word logos. And Greek philosophers use this word to refer to sublime principles in the universe and it covered the unexplained. Yet John, in using the word, placed it within the context of a person the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, John gave the word logos personality. And the word was also a familiar term among the ancient Jews. In the Greek Old Testament, the word logos is used for the term 
Deba, which also means word or principle. And the Jews thought of a word as an active expression of a person's personality. Therefore, the word of the Lord in the Old Testament is often used as an active expression of God's person and presence. Now, the word is not inactive. For when in the beginning was the word, the word was not just something static, but rather the word was active. For the word called the world into being, and the word produced light, the word created. And so in the New Testament, when we read that the word came to earth, the word came to act not just to be a statue, but rather to live and move and have be his being among us. Jesus then was not in the line of pagan idols, but was rather the living God. And this little child of Bethlehem was God in the flesh, and therein is the mystery of all mysteries. And when the word was born in a stable, he was not a lesser being, a person of lesser rank than the Father in heaven. The time was to come when this relationship would be clearly explained. A time when Jesus would say to his disciples, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And much trouble has been caused because many have not been able to accept the fact that Jesus was God come in the flesh. Jesus shared the eternal nature of God. He was equal in rank and dignity with God and still is, of course. At times the phrase is translated, the world was face to face with God in order to preserve the fact that in his pre-existent state, the word was co-eternal with God. But let us never forget that behind the manger is the cross to focus only on the babe in the manger at Bethlehem means we miss the whole point of Christmas. And that is God come in the flesh to die for us and to save us from our sins and to give us life eternal. A woman was doing her last minute shopping for Christmas at a crowded shopping center. She was tired of fighting the crowds. She was tired of standing in line she was tired of fighting her way down long hours looking for a gift that had sold out days before. And her arms were full of bulky passages, packages. And when a lift door opened, it was full. And the occupants of the lift grudgingly tightened ranks to allow a small space for her and her load of packages. And as the doors closed... She blurted out, whoever's responsible for this whole Christmas thing ought to be arrested, strung up, and shot. And a few others nodded their heads or grunted in agreement. And then from somewhere in the back of the lift came a single voice that said, don't worry, lady, they crucified him. We cannot, however, turn the phrase around to read, God was the word. Neither can we say the word was a God. 
Not only was Jesus present with the Father in his pre-existent state, he was also active in the work of creating the world. When thinking of God in Christ, we must never forget to expect the unexpected. In Christ, we must never forget to expect the unexpected. Truly, we must ever live expecting the unexpected. Frederick Buchner wrote in his book, The Hungering Dark, he said, those who believe in God can never be sure of him again. Once they've seen him in a stable, they can never be sure where he will appear or to what lengths he will go or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of man. If the holiness and the awful power and majesty of God were present in this least auspicious of all events, this birth of a peasant's child, then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound that holiness can be present there too. And this means we're never safe, that there is no place where we can hide from God, no place where we're safe from his power to break in two and recreate the human heart, because it's just where he seems most helpless, that he is most strong. And just when we least expect him, that he comes most fully. And before he stepped down into this world, Jesus was with the Father. Not only was Jesus the pre-existent word who imparted both physical and spiritual life to the people he made, Jesus is also the source of all that is good, for he is the light of the world who chases away the dark. In his gospel, John speaks of Jesus being the light of the world. By this, he does not mean Jesus is a glimmer of light, but rather that Jesus is like a light that keeps on shining in the dark. As we think of the baby in the stable, we often find it hard to comprehend what happened there. We need to remind ourselves of the passage in Philippians 2 where we're told about the Lord Jesus. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who though existing in the form of God did not consider his equality with God something to cling to but emptied himself as he took on the form of a slave and became like human beings so recognized in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, yes, even the death by the cross. God therefore has lifted him on high and has given him the name that surpasses every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Surely, Charles Wesley had it right when he encouraged us to sing, "'Tis mystery, all the immortal dies. Who can explore this his strange design? In vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine.'" Tis mercy all, let earth adore, let angel minds inquire no more. 
a huge part of the mystery of Christmas and the coming of Jesus to the stable is that we find it so hard to understand how God could love us so much he would send his only son into the world to save us sinners. A mother stood with her daughter outside a department store. Their clothes were shabby. And as they stood there, they admired a manger scene in the window. And it was a huge manger scene. And there were wise men with their gifts. There was Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And the little girl kept staring at the face of Mary. It was a white plaster face, a face so pure and clean. And the girl looked up at her mother and said, Oh, she is so beautiful. But she doesn't know the pain and trouble we have. And when Jesus came down at Christmas to the stable at Bethlehem, he came to say to that little girl and all those like her that God knows and understands the pain and the sorrow and the trouble she faces. And Jesus came to suffer. Never forget that fact. He also came to share our lives. When he was on earth, he bore burdens. He suffered pain. He even knew sorrow and experienced being lonely. Oh, yes, love came down at Christmas. Love all lovely, love divine. Love was born at Christmas, star and angels gave the sign. So we have the unexpected, we have the mysterious, but we also have the wonderment. In the first chapter of John's Gospel, verse 14, John says of Jesus, we beheld his glory. And this means to gaze intently upon, to take a steadfast look. And again in his epistle, John takes up the idea for he says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Then John goes on to expand the wonders of it all, the wonder of knowing Jesus. And as the years pass, we tend to lose sight of the glory, the wonder of Jesus coming in the flesh. We seem to somehow miss the wonder of the shepherds who are just so thrilled at being there. We lose a sense of the wise men as they worship the Lord Jesus and the glory of it all. They presented their gifts to the baby Jesus. These people, these shepherds, these wise men were full of joy, full of the joy of Christ's coming. It was their joy because they listened, they believed, they obeyed, they experienced, they told, and they worshipped the newborn king. And their response is a model for us. If we would respond properly to the tremendous news of Christ coming to Bethlehem stable, truly we should be filled with wonderment. Let's promise ourselves that this Christmas we will once again capture the wonder of it all <coughs> and all the while never forget that the manger is the shadow of the cross. When the great filmmaker Cecil B. DeMille wrote his autobiography, he said the crowning moment of his life had been when they filmed the King of Kings. He said the crew, film crew was on location and were filming the crucifixion scene. 
De Milne had hired a motley-looking crowd of people as extras for the mob scene. And they were to call out, crucify him, crucify him. And to find this crowd, De Milne had gone into all the dives of Jerusalem and picked up life's defeated people to act as the soldiers, believing the faces of those who crucified Jesus should show defeat. And the lines of care life can leave on people who hold goodness in utter contempt. And it was the day before Christmas, and they were filming the crucifixion scene. The moon wrote, here we were on a bare, ugly hill with three crosses, telling of his death when it was the eve of his birthday. And on the spur of the moment, the mill went very who very seldom said anything during the filming of the picture, called everybody to silence. And he stepped out in front of all the extras and he said, in honor of Christ the King, we will take five minutes for meditation and prayer. Here and there across the faces he noticed cynical smiles and he immediately thought he'd made a mistake a huge mistake. And he said to himself, they would just saunter off and during the five minutes and get a drink or take a smoke and do cheap talk. DeMille stood before them, bowed his head and closed his eyes. And then to his wonder, from this motley crew, he heard several voices softly sing the Christmas carol it came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old. The carol wasn't known by all those gathered, but slowly more voices joined in. And when DeMille looked up, even though they were singing the Christmas carol, he found them kneeling before the three crosses on a hillside and on some of those rough, careworn defeated faces, he saw tears streaming down their faces, down their cheeks. The hard-bitten Hollywood film producer said it was the greatest moment of his life and revealed to him again the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three crosses on a hillside a motley crew, a Christmas carol, and the kneeling before Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Oh, the power of the risen Christ, the power of God revealed in Christ. And this same Jesus wants to rule our hearts and take up residence within. In 2006... New York judge, a New York judge allowed Jose Luis Espinol to legally change his name to Jesus Christ. Espinol was happy. He said, I'm the person that is that name. You know, there's something, Jose, in all of us. We're just a little more subtle. Fact is, we grab the title Lord every time we reclaim the management of our life. 
Even so, all the time the question comes burning through, have you any room for Jesus, he who bore your load of sin? Christmas comes but once a year, and each time it gives us another chance to accept the King of glory and to allow the King of glory to rule in the house of our life and take full control of the management. And above all, that is God's way for us to travel our pilgrimage on earth. For God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. I live expecting. Oh yes, there's a man in the glory. And I expect. For I wake in the morning with thoughts of his love who's living for me in the glory above. Every moment expecting, he'll call me away. And that keeps me bright all the rest of the day.